Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. The latest evolution in pornography and erotica is virtual reality. This is making adult content increasingly interactive. Now, most of the information we hear about VR erotic material involves taking solo masturbation to new destinations and heights. And while that's certainly one important and probably highly profitable application of this technology, virtual reality erotica has the potential to do so much more than this for us. For one thing, it can be an innovative research method. It's a way of simulating sex in a lab setting that creates a level of immersion that you just can't replicate with 2D porn. But there are also potential therapeutic applications of VR as well. In fact, the future of sex therapy just might be all about virtual reality because it can be both an educational tool as well as a safe space to explore and engage with our sexuality. So let's talk about how virtual reality might change the future of both sex research and education. I am joined once again by Dr. Lori Brado, a professor at the University of British Columbia, a practicing psychologist, and author of the books, Better Sex Through Mindfulness and The Better Sex Through Mindfulness Workbook. This is going to be a fascinating conversation. Stick around and we're gonna jump in right after the break. Don't know what to get your partner this holiday season? Give the gift of pleasure. Material objects are temporary, but sexual happiness is a gift that can keep giving all year long. That's why I recommend checking out Beducated, a revolutionary form of online sex education. They have an extensive library of courses that you can take at your own pace in the comfort of your own home designed to help you level up your sex life, enhance intimacy, awaken pleasure, and connect on a new level. You can try all of their courses today for free, and if you like what you see, you can get 40% off the yearly pass by using my last name, Miller, as the coupon code. You can also give your partner a personalized Beducated gift card. Check the show notes for the link or visit Beducated.com and be sure to use my last name to get your discount. Get hard for the holidays with FirmTech. Their performance ring is designed to boost your sexual stamina and give you harder, longer-lasting erections while also enhancing pleasure. Their tech ring has the added benefit of tracking your erectile health when synced with FirmTech's free mobile app, which monitors changes in erection duration, hardness, and more. Take control of your sexual health while increasing sexual performance and satisfaction at the same time. To learn more, check the show notes or visit myfirmtech.com and be sure to use my exclusive discount code, Justin20, to save 20% off your purchase. What are you waiting for? Ring in the new year with FirmTech. Okay, Lori, so we're increasingly hearing about virtual reality porn and erotica, but we usually only hear about this in the context of something people might use at home as an augment to masturbation or perhaps as an alternative to partnered sex. But something you've started to explore recently is how VR technology might actually help us to conduct better sex research, as well as open up new ways of treating sexual difficulties. So let's talk first about the research side of things. Traditionally, when sex researchers have studied sexual response in the lab, they've shown participants 2D stimuli on computer monitors. You know, they're either looking at some basic set of erotic photos or videos. 
So what are the limitations of this method, and why might it not be potent enough to elicit strong sexual responses, particularly in women? Yeah, great question. In fairly typical erotic research setups where we want to measure sexual response in a lab, a researcher will show a film. So usually audiovisual, some type of porn or erotica, and then we'll measure sexual response in the body, maybe with a penile or vaginal photoplethysmograph and with some means of measuring how they're feeling in their mind, maybe through a lever or some other device that captures how they're feeling in the moment. And while this experimental paradigm has taught us a lot about what happens when people are exposed to audiovisual erotica, there are a lot of limitations with it. One is that the person is watching from a distance, and yet Often in an actual sexual scenario, the person is engaged in the sexual scenario. So they are an active participant, not just an observer. And there has been research showing gender differences. So differences between men and women on how much they take on that kind of observer role versus active participant role when we're using traditional 2D erotica. So one of the benefits of virtual reality is we can manipulate what the person sees and hears in their environment to alter how immersed they are in the sexual scene versus how much they're watching from a distance. So we would call this first-person point of view if they're really immersed and they're actually an active participant in the sexual scene in this VR environment, or third-person if they're, you know, sitting on their couch watching another person or another couple engaged in sex. And this is, again, one of the things that we can manipulate in a virtual reality environment. Yeah, so it's a totally different paradigm for measuring and assessing sexual response, right? So I guess in a lot of the past studies where you've had the 2D stimuli, it's kind of tapping more into voyeuristic arousal because you're disconnected from that situation. But if you can be more immersed and really feel like you're part of the scene, that might be measuring something that is totally different. So you published a study recently looking at VR erotica and women's sexual arousal and desire. And before we dive into the details of that, let me first ask you how you go about finding erotic material to use in a study like this. So as I've discussed on previous episodes of this show, a lot of women aren't into mainstream heterosexual porn for various reasons, and they often turn to other kinds of erotic content where they don't have concerns about objectification or consent or sexual violence, or those concerns are just less likely to manifest. So what kinds of erotic material do you select for studies like this to increase the odds that women will be open to engaging with that material? Yeah, good question. So at the outset, we always partner with a community advisory group to help us choose the erotic stimuli. So it's not just us researchers sitting around a TV screen choosing what we like best. We're really engaging with people and we will invite them to share with us what are the kinds of erotica that turn them on and help them feel safe and present and all of those sorts of things. So it's always done with community engagement. And then in studies where our population is focused on patients, it's done with patient engagement. So there's a lot of work that happens up front to identify the erotica. Now, 
add on to that the challenge of having erotica that is amenable to a VR environment, you can see how just that process before we even launch a research study can take many, many months of finding acceptable erotica that can be delivered in this 3D environment and and also from different points of view, that first person versus third person point of view. So yeah, needless to say, quite a bit of work that happens before we start collecting the data. Yeah. And so, you know, I think this is interesting to think about from a few different standpoints. One is that if you look at a lot of past research on sexual arousal, where they've shown participants erotica, oftentimes they'll just go to what are the most watched clips on, you know, this particular porn site. And so they'll just kind of pull it that way. Or maybe the researchers will just select what they think is likely to be arousing to people. But you're taking a totally different approach and getting that community involvement, which I think is really really important because different people are turned on by different things and the considerations might be different for people of different genders and different sexualities. And in a lot of sexual arousal studies, you have a very high rate of people who don't register any genital arousal in response to the erotic material. And I think that's because oftentimes they're just being shown material that isn't something they would go out and choose themselves. So when you're conducting a study like this, it's not as simple as just like, opening up your laptop and like going to the nearest porn site you can find, you know, there's often this months long search of finding just the right erotic material, which I think would be surprising to a lot of people. Thank you for acknowledging that. Yeah. And, and, and I'll, maybe I'll just add, Justin, that, you know, with some of the clinical populations that we work with, where there's a much higher proportion of history of sexual abuse, maybe the person have sexual pain, it makes the selection of the erotic stimuli we use that much more important because we we want to be creating kind of a culturally safe environment for them while they're participating in sex research. Absolutely. So many things to take into account there. So let's talk about what you found in this study. So you showed women either virtual reality or 2D erotica, and it varied in terms of whether it had that first person or third person perspective that you were talking about. So what did you find in terms of how did these videos impact women's perception of being present and also in terms of their sexual arousal and desire? Yeah. Okay. So let's start with presence. And presence is essentially a variant of the question, how immersed in the sexual scene did you feel while you were watching these erotic films? And what we found was that virtual reality created a greater sense of presence than traditional 2D, which makes sense. 3D is greater than 2D. And uh, first person viewing created a greater feeling of presence, both general presence as well as sexual presence than a third person point of view. So that's the case for general presence that they feel more present in the room and they felt more sexually present in their body. And then we found the exact same pattern when it came to feelings of sexual arousal. So higher levels of arousal in the VR versus the 2D erotica and higher levels of arousal when it was them <laughs> engaging in the sexual scene from first person point of view than third person point of view. And maybe just as an aside, I'll mention kind of my testimonial because, uh, you know, I don't do any research study without acting as a participant myself. So I have a firsthand sense of, you know, what we're asking our participants to do. And I can attest that in that virtual reality, first person point of view scene, you really feel like you are having sex in that virtual environment. And it's an incredibly 
powerful effect. So yeah, so that was certainly borne out in the data where we found more presence and also more arousal in that in that VR first person point of view scenario. Yeah, so the virtual reality erotica seems to be more potent in terms of eliciting arousal. And I would suspect, I don't recall in looking at your paper whether you tested for a mediation model, but it seems like that feeling of presence should be what is kind of facilitating that greater level of arousal. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So people are feeling more aroused because they're more present. Yep. So you have a study underway right now looking at use of a VR-based treatment for women with vaginismus. And before we talk about the details of that study, can you tell us what vaginismus is for listeners who might not be familiar with that term? Yeah, so vaginismus is a very distressing type of sexual dysfunction where the woman or person with a vagina has involuntary tightening and tension of their pelvic floor muscles. So everyone has a set of pelvic floor muscles and they're really important muscles for keeping the organs in place, for preventing urinary leakage. But when those muscles are overly tense or tight, they can prevent penetration, vaginal penetration, anal penetration. So vaginismus is the situation where a person with a vagina has that involuntary tightening where nothing will go inside the vagina. No speculum, no dildo, no penis, no finger can go in because when those pelvic floor muscles tighten up, they essentially close off the opening to the vagina. And it can create a lot of pain for the person. So, you know, they might not know anatomically what's happening, but it's actually the pelvic floor muscle that's tightening, closing off the opening to the vagina. So they might continue to try to put something inside and it's incredibly painful for them. So as a result, they might not engage in sex. They might not be getting pap smears. They're not using tampons if they menstruate and can really create a lot of distress for the person. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So can you tell us a little bit more about this VR-based treatment that you developed and how do you think it might be helpful to someone dealing with an issue like vaginismus? The most effective treatment for vaginismus is training the person how to use vaginal inserts. So these look like dildos of, of progressively increasing size. And so, you know, the person might come into your office and I might show them a set of, of uh, vaginal inserts. I'll teach them relaxation strategies. And then I'll say, go home, insert the smallest one, practice your relaxation. And while you're practicing your relaxation, the pelvic floor muscles should relax and the insert should be able to go inside pain-free. And then we progressively move up to larger and larger sizes. And if that works, then the person should be able to move up to the largest size of vaginal insert. So this is theoretically how treatment should work. In reality, because people with vaginismus also often have a high level of anxiety and avoidance, and it makes sense, if penetration hurts, you're going to avoid it. What happens is they go home, they look at the box of vaginal inserts, and it stays closed because there's far too much anxiety. So they're simply unable to engage with the vaginal inserts because anxiety is so high. 
So um, my student, Natalie Brown, and I had the idea, can we create this virtual environment where they might see themselves successfully and pain-free engaging in vaginal penetration? And if we can do that in this controlled environment where they might feel like they're having penetration, but they're not actually having penetration, so they're not actually having pain could this then help them when they go home to overcome some of their avoidance and anxiety and thus engage with the vaginal inserts? So we've just completed a study where we had 40 people with vaginismus, 40 people without vaginismus, and then we're exposing them to the VR environment in our controlled lab setting. And then we're measuring what happens afterwards. So if it works, and I'll admit I don't have the data yet, uh, but I can sort of share some testimonials of what um, our participants have shared with us in, in the experimental setting. But if it does work, this means that this could be a huge revolution in the way we treat vaginismus and, and could be a huge boost to gynecologists as well. Because, you know, you can buy a VR headset relatively inexpensively nowadays. So it's, a kind, it's one of those really high risk, high reward kinds of studies if it does work. Yeah, so fascinating. And I can't wait to see the results and see whether or not it works. But this has me thinking about how if this does work, you know, what are the implications or applications for other issues where people might go see a sex therapist? So I'm thinking about maybe this is also a way that people who have previous experiences with sexual trauma can sort of start to engage their sexuality in a safe space. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts on how VR treatments like this might have implications for dealing with sexual trauma or dealing with other sexual difficulties that people might have beyond vaginismus. Yeah. You know, anxiety during sex is extremely, extremely common. So we look at the person who's afraid of losing their erection. Often anxiety is part of it. We look at the person with a past history of sexual abuse. Often anxiety and avoidance are a key feature. Arousal problems, orgasm problems across the board, anxiety, some degree of sex-related anxiety is almost universal. I'm not going to say totally universal, but almost universal. So I would guess that if this technology, if we find that it works in this kind of proof of principle study, that it probably has applications across a wide variety of sex-related concerns as well. And and yeah, I'm hoping someone does the research on those many, many different clinical subtypes and groups to show that it does work. Because if it does, it just means that we're able to get more help to more people. Most people with sexual difficulties don't get the help that they need. They just simply live with it or suffer in silence. This has me thinking about so many different things. And I want to go back to the first person versus third person perspective thing that we were talking about, because I had a thought earlier that escaped me and now it's come back. And it's because in my research on sexual fantasies, I did not ask people whether they fantasize from a first person or third person perspective. I did later do a Twitter poll of like 600 or so people, not scientific, but it did give me some insight that some people only fantasize from that third person perspective. Some people only fantasize from the first person and some people are switches where they go back and forth. And so I'm wondering whether, you know, in terms of this VR based treatment being an option for people, whether it might work better for some people than others based on the way that they normally fantasize or or engage with their sexuality. Do you have any sense from your research, you know, whether 
people tend to be taking more of that first or third person perspective in their fantasies? And is there a gender difference? Oh, I love that. We haven't asked, but it makes a lot of sense that, you know, if you can take the usual modality that people engage in, and if it's arousing for them, and then you potentiate it through this kind of lab-based manipulation, it makes sense that you'd see, you know, more general presence, more sexual presence, more arousal. Someone should really do that study So what we did was we just manipulated all the possible environments to measure the outcome. What we know, though, is with vaginismus in particular, that that first person point of view was far more immersive. So I I would then guess if those people are engaging in fantasy, that they're probably doing it from more of a distance, maybe more of a third person point of view, and that's more arousing. Whereas if they start to imagine themselves engaged, that it's probably going to elicit some anxiety and maybe even actual pain for them while they're fantasizing. But yeah, I can imagine just a whole series of studies that we could do based on this, <laughs> this brainstorming we're doing right now. <laughs> Let's do it. So many interesting questions. (laughs) So something else I'm thinking about is Meredith Chiver's research looking at women's genital responses to a range of sexual stimuli. And she finds that for heterosexual women, they tend to show this nonspecific pattern of genital response. You know, they're showing arousal to heterosexual porn, to lesbian porn, to gay porn. But to my knowledge, that's all been with 2D stimuli, which doesn't seem to be as potent. So I'm really curious to know whether the results would look the same if you used VR and you had these greater feelings of presence. So I wonder whether you might see a different pattern when you have something that's capable of generating higher levels of arousal. So in other words, if it's a highly arousing thing that maps more closely onto your desires, maybe you'd start to see some forms of erotica being more arousing than others in that case. And I could be totally wrong, but this just has me thinking about this technology and how it might potentially more broadly change our understanding of human sexual response. Yeah, I I would agree with your logic leading up to what you predicted in that situation. And uh, yeah, we'll invite Meredith to do that study, (laughs) to use a (laughs) VR, and then repeat her studies with the Bonobo films and with the same gender films and the mixed gender films and see what happens. But yeah, it does make us question maybe a lot of the findings from past studies that have been through this very, you know, two-dimensional third-person point of view modality. And would we see something different if the person was more immersed in the environment? Yeah, it just raises so many interesting questions, which leads to my next question for you, which is, so what's next? You know, where do you go from here? What are you planning to do with this work, with this technology in the future? Yeah, so the next stage of the VR with vaginismus study is um, we've done qualitative in-depth interviews with all of our participants to ask them. So a lot of my research is very much community-engaged, patient-engaged, where we, where we learn more from our participants rather than us telling them what they need to know. And we've asked them, if this works, how could you imagine incorporating VR in your own treatment of your vaginismus? So we're gathering all of these really rich interview transcripts of what it might look like. And then on the basis of that, we have another grant going in to actually try that, where we'll send people home with a very inexpensive VR headset that they can insert into their smartphone. And then we're 
we're going to measure what happens when they use the vaginal inserts at home. Does this kind of pre-exposure in the immersive environment allow them to overcome some of the anxiety and some of the avoidance that then allows them to move into the insertive exercises more smoothly and with less anxiety? So that's kind of the next stream in that clinically applied research. And then our team has this emerging really nice partnership with Simone Dubay um, and David Lafortune, who are both at the University of Quebec at Montréal in Quebec, to look at these broader samples of people with sexual anxiety. And it, it taps back into your question earlier, Justin, around, you know, the broader applicability of VR for everyone who has some degree of sex-related anxiety. So that's going to be our plan to look in these much larger samples across genders to see could VR be useful for them as well. Yeah. So the future of sex therapy might be virtual reality, you know, I mean, hundred percent. yeah, it's, it's not something that I had really thought that much about before, because whenever we have these conversations about VR, as I said, at the top of the show, we often go to pornography and masturbation, but what are the potential ways that these technologies can be leveraged to help us improve our sex lives and maybe even our relationships, you know? So I'm thinking about how at some point, assuming the technology companies will <laughs> allow us, you know, because they tend to be a little bit sex phobic about some things, but you might actually have whole sex therapy programs that could be administered through these virtual reality platforms. So it'll just be something fascinating to watch in the future. Yeah, that's my hope. And given the prevalence of sexual concerns and the shortage of sex therapists, the kind of model of one client to one practitioner is far outdated and it leaves a lot of people without the care that they deserve and need. So we need to be innovative. So these more modern technologies in digital health, including VR, we're going to see a lot more of them in the future. It might even replace sex therapists one day, which I would be happy with. I'd rather <laughs> see more people get help than, uh, than have a long list of people waiting to get into our clinics. Yeah, I don't recall exactly who it was, but previously on the show, one of my guests cited a statistic that there are only 3,000 or so certified sex therapists in the United States, you know, for a country of 330 million people, which tells you that, you know, for the number of people with sexual concerns who might benefit from sex therapy, it's just really hard to find that help. And so to the extent that we can utilize this technology to kind of close that gap, there's a lot of potential benefits there for us. Yeah, I agree. So thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Lori. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work and get a copy of one of your books or both of your books? Sure thing. So um, you can track our research and participate in our research at broadolab.com. You can learn about my books, about my clinical practice, and actually download for free all of our mindfulness meditations at lauriebrado.com. And then you can also find me on Twitter at Dr. Lori Brado. Well, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate having you here. And thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology, at sexandpsychology.com, or subscribe on your favorite platform, where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Miller and Instagram at Justin J. Miller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want, and Lori's book, Better Sex Through Mindfulness, and the new Better Sex Through Mindfulness workbook. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. 